Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones. Before we jump into today's content, I have something I want to share with you. In a recent 2019 CEO benchmark study conducted by the Predictive Index, CEOs disclosed that four out of five top challenges they face relate to talent optimization. To win consistently, you need confidence. Confidence that you've got the right people in the right roles, that they're deployed around the right projects, and that those projects are mapped to the right organizational objectives. And you need more than gut level confidence. You need data to back that up. But the truth is, the rapid pace of change is exhausting. People and systems are being pushed to the edge, and diversity, equality, and inclusion issues remain unresolved. In this age of empathy, we can do better. That's why I'm super excited about a new talent optimization platform that Ben Strout, founder of Velocity Strategy Solutions and a certified partner with the Predictive Index, is ready to show you. This technology-enabled, data-driven platform will give you an unfair advantage so you can win and succeed more. Visit peoplegetresults.com and use the code RAINMAKER to schedule your free personalized assessment and demo today. That's peoplegetresults.com, and don't forget to use the code RAINMAKER today. Hey, this is Andrew Olson with the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, and I am really excited to have John Walsh here with us on this conversation today. So John leads email fundraising for one of the world's largest and most well-respected ministry organizations, and I, I'm just thrilled to have you on today. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Andrew. I'm so glad to be here. Awesome. So we're going to talk a lot today about email marketing, email fundraising, and, and sort of all, all things in that space. And I, I think as we jump into this conversation, the, the kind of framing narrative is just that COVID has changed so many things and created such big challenges for many nonprofits, particularly from a fundraising and communications perspective. And I, I'm curious to know during this time, you know, I've seen you talk about a lot of testing and experimentation that you're doing in your email program. I want to know what you've learned in the last few months. Yeah, it has been crazy. And really the, the biggest thing that I have learned in this whole last few months is do not stop communicating. <laughs> right? Keep communicating with people, uh, especially in a crisis, which is what we were calling at the beginning, right? So people want to hear. They want to hear from you. They may want to hear from you. And uh, yeah, and especially in this case where we were going, we were needing to rely so much more on digital means email really stepped up for us as far as communicating we were sending many more emails the last few months just to keep people informed of what was happening with our nonprofit uh, but but specifically so just just to kind of give you an idea some of the things that we were testing we actually in early march when this all started happening we had the directive to make sure that all the emails that we sent had the word covid in the subject line, right? Mm. Everybody, everybody wanted to know what was happening. They wanted to make sure that the email was opened. Okay, so make sure COVID is in or coronavirus is in the subject line. I noticed about after two weeks of that, it, inboxes were being bombarded. Sure. With that word in it, right? And so I, I actually pulled my team aside and said, hey, we, we can't continue this. There's actually, there was actually starting to be research saying that the word COVID was a spam filter or spam trigger. So <laughs> these words... COVID, there was a higher probability that your email would land in the spam box. So I pulled my team aside and said, hey, we're going to start, we're going to test, we're going to look at this, and I want us to switch gears completely. I want us to go to a more positive subject line terms, right? And I want it to be based on, you know, helping the individual. And so we changed that in like in two weeks, 
pretty quick for us. And um, <laughs> man, we saw the open rates just, just I say skyrocket, like increase like five to 7%. Hmm. Um, so, and people, I mean, as, as you, maybe, you know, like emails are, are being opened throughout this whole time because they don't have much else. They weren't, didn't have much else to do, or they were not getting communication other ways right in the beginning. So email was, was huge for us. Um, and so, yeah, so one of the things we did, like I said, is we, we, uh, we changed the subject lines. Uh, we started communicating more, increased frequency for emails, and we saw great results from it. We saw higher opens. We did not see any, we didn't see a whole lot of unsubscribes or, or abuse complaints, and we saw a lot more donations. So that's really yeah. interesting to me because I think that, you know, Going into this crisis, there were really two camps. There was one camp of organizations that said, stop all communications. You know, we don't want to be seen as trying to take advantage of a crisis. Uh, and then there was, maybe there were three. There was another camp that said, go all in, and, but be smart about it. And then there was probably a third that said, don't change anything. Whatever we were doing in the past, just keep doing. Your results seem to mirror what we've seen with our clients where, you know, the, the higher frequency of, of communication, higher open rates. And I, I do agree. I think, you know, people are sitting at home, they're tired of watching daytime TV and they're like, well, what else am I going to do? Right. right. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and higher uh, conversion rates and, and, and better giving. I am pleasantly surprised to hear you say that you had, you know, at least low, sounds like low opt out rates, low complaint rates. Talk a little bit about, you know, how you balanced in this time period solicitation with information sharing with stewardship. Like what was that mix like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so to speak to your point, so a lot of it was because as an organization, we were very active in what was happening. So we were doing a lot of things as an organization to be top of mind. And so we were, had a lot to communicate at that time. And that was part of the reason we were communicating more. I think that could be a difference as well with some organizations. Sure. Uh, but I still, think, I still would say communicate. Um, but sorry, sorry to answer your question. Yeah. Uh, usually we have a pretty good balance. It's, it's usually, I would say, I would say it leans heavily on the cultivation relationship side building and sprinkled with solicitation. Okay. Uh, the last few months, we, uh, we increased the solicitation type emails. So I'd say it was more, it was, I would say it was actually more equal in that case. So we were sending a lot more solicitation specific emails because of mm -hmm. all the, the ministry that we were doing at the time. But as a result of all the solicitation emails that we're doing, we were having to, not having to, but then we were going back and thanking everybody more frequently because we were sending more solicitation emails. Okay. So it actually, where normally we send more relationship cultivation emails, the last, you know, from maybe March to May, it actually almost more balanced out. So is there anything that you learned during this crisis period, as it's been called, that, that you've now said, you know what, that was a, you know, we learned it in this crisis period, but it's something that we think we're going to standardize and just continue to do in the future? Yeah, I think really the sending more personal type emails uh, being, not being afraid to send emails, so to speak, and not being afraid to say, hey, you know, we sent one last week. Should we send one again this week? We learned that as long as the email provides value for a person, as long as we have something to say of value, as long as the people want to hear it, it's okay to send it. 
they'll, they will respond. And um, as we talked about earlier, we're testing. If, if we're looking at the metrics and everything, which is what we do, you know, and we're seeing people aren't, their people are not, you know, if people start not opening or if people start unsubscribing, then yeah, then maybe we need to look at frequency a little bit more. But really we found that maybe we're, we weren't even emailing enough. Hmm. So, and I, and I say that with a grain of salt uh, as, as far as, you know, making sure that we're emailing the right people at the right time, the right place. We're not just sure. emailing everybody all the time, everything that, you know, that's, that's a little different. But if you're emailing the right people, you know, the right message, then I think they're more receptive, it, more receptive to it than we thought at the time. Okay. So I, I want to pick at something you said early on in that response. You, you mentioned personalization. And I, I happened to have been scrolling early this morning on LinkedIn and saw something else that you uh, shared about, I think it was about an email that you sent to volunteers maybe, and how that was much, it sounds like much more highly personalized than maybe you've, you've said in the past. Can you talk about that experiment that you did and, and what you found from it? Yes. Um, and maybe, as you know, like a lot of emails just in general are becoming more personalized. And I'm not just, and I, even I mentioned in the, in the post, not just using a first name, not just saying, you know, dear Andrew, but what kind of information do we have for an individual that we can craft a message and then use that information and not just send out a generic message to that, to an individual. And so in this case, this was actually to the volunteers. So they're very highly invested in the ministry. They're putting a lot of time and a lot of effort for free for us. Right. And so, um, we could thank them and we do thank them. We thank them in this email, but what can we give them? You know, what, what can we help encourage them and how can we help them through email, right? Through, through maybe a, through maybe a thank you email. And so we actually use personalized information. So we actually cat we actually uh, ca calculated all of their hours that they put in. And then we sent them a thank you email and that said, you know, thank you for volunteering X amount of hours not just saying thank you for volunteering, but thank sure. you for volunteering X amount of hours because of you, dot, 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 you know, more people. And, and man, the response that we got from that was so encouraging. So everybody, so many people responding back from that, you know, thank you for the encouragement. I needed to hear that. I'm so glad we are, I feel such a great part of this ministry. I feel like we're doing great work. And that's what you want from your volunteers, right? Yeah, for um, sure. We could have we sent a generic email that said thank you. But we have this, we have this ability now, we do at least in our organization to calculate their hours and what they're doing. And we can send is actually not as hard as it sounds if you have the information to put together an email. And then when that email is, you know, when you receive a personalized email, I don't know, you just feel, you should feel more special, right? Like sure. they know me, they understand me, they understand what I'm doing. And so when you get that, I, I think to take that next step, you kind of build that relationship. And that, that thank you, that gratitude is, is even more personal, which is what we really like. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's what that email was about. And I'm really hoping that we start doing more emails like that. Yeah, I think that's a, a great learning. You know, it's, whether it's for volunteers or donors or whoever your constituents might be, it's, it's so much more fulfilling than make, you know, somebody who just feels like they're, you know, supporter number 4,327. Right. right. Um, the, the, the more that you can make them feel like you do, like, like the organization feels that there's a personal relationship. I think there's, there's a lot of value in that. I want to switch topics a little bit and, and get your take on this idea. So I think a lot of organizations and, and fundraisers uh, in particular, and I see this all the time in my business, still seem to like think of email as, 
as a, a channel that kind of quote unquote rides along with direct mail. And so, you know, I'll have conversations with people will say, well, you know, I always send an email out when I send a direct mail package. I, I'm just curious to get your perspective on that thinking. And, and, you know, I suspect you might challenge that, that notion. <laughs> yeah. So I've actually heard the term accompany. Uh-huh. Um, so I feel like it's some sort of attachment or, well, or insert into a direct mail piece. Um, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> to me, it's a balance, right? So the content that you use for the direct mail piece is, is great, right? I'm sure it's great information. I'm sure it's what people need to know. I am all for using that content in an email setting. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. If you have great content, use it. If it helps, you know, further your mission, use it as, you know, use it in the direct mail and use it in an email. Where I, where I hesitate is that they're both unique. Mailing, direct mail is unique. It's, it's a different experience for the user, for the, the reader. Email is a different experience for the reader. They're, they're not the same experiences for anybody, right? Um, so what works for direct mail doesn't necessarily work for email and vice versa. So whatever works for email doesn't work for uh, direct mail. And I think there's some similarities. Um, in fact, we actually did some testing on this, if this helps. We actually tested because there's a lot of, uh, you know, well, we sent out the direct mail piece, so the email has to go out exactly one week later. Exactly. Cannot change. And it was like, but but why? You know, we kept asking this question, why, why? And it was like, because this is what we do and it always goes out. Well, one of the things that we learned from COVID uh, (laughs) was that we were trying to get messages out very quickly and direct mail was trying to do the same and they did a wonderful job of getting uh, mailings out. very fast, right? But we did not want to lose our window of opportunity. And we were afraid that if we waited a week later, whatever was in the direct mailing piece would not apply. Sure. That's how fast things were happening for us. Yeah. So we actually said, hey, we need we need to change this. We need to get we need to get this email out like right as soon as you mail it. We know that it won't arrive after the mailing, but we need to get it out now or the message is going to be lost or drowned. So we did. And we are now sending, <laughs> we now no longer have to send emails okay. later. We are actually sending them much, much sooner. We're actually sending them out the week of. And if, if the mailing arrives first or the emailing arrives first, it's okay. I honestly don't think people match them as much as maybe we think they're matching them, if that makes sense. Yep. Uh, we have that mindset like, well, they're going to read the mailing and then they're going to go to the email and they're going to go back to the mailing. I don't know that there's that much of a connection. Maybe there is for some people, but I don't know. They, they seem unique. We also did, uh, we also did testing on this just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we haven't even, I haven't even published it yet um, on the subject line. Right. So it was like the direct mail was like, well, this is the tagline that we used on the envelope. Therefore you must use it as the subject line. Of the email. Like I was like, why? I was like, well, because they're going to relate it. They're going to, they're going to connect the two together. They're going to connect the mailing, which has this, tagline on the front and to this subject line on the email they're going to say oh these are connected well we're like no i mean you know are you sure because let's test it so we decided to test it they we used the subject line that was on the mailer and then we used another subject line that was related to the content but actually was nowhere in the actual physical letter and after the one test, we found that not only were open rates higher, but conversion rates were higher on the one that was not on the mailer. 
I only prove that point, I only say that point to say, you know, one, to test things, right? And I, I'm big on testing, as you know. One, to test things, uh, it's okay, you know, and they maybe aren't as connected as we think they are to the donor or to, to the recipient. So just, just be cautious. But yeah, I'm a little bit, what works in email works in email. What works in direct mail direct, works in direct mail. They aren't the same, I don't say at all, but they aren't yeah. as, the same as we sometimes think they are. No, that's, it's so interesting to me because I, I have this conversation all the time. And even, even as a fundraising agency and, and in my past life, there's been a mantra of like, know, has to, has to, you know, completely coordinate and match. And, and I, you know, I, I think when we think about the response rates, let's say to email or direct mail, if we get 2% response to certain things, everyone's, you know, through the roof excited. Well, if we step back for a minute and think about the 98% that didn't respond, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear to me that not everybody sits there and matches those up, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, um, and, and, yeah, and we were seeing great results on both. When we, when we did those switches, we were seeing great results. The one wasn't hurting the other. Okay. They were, they were, they were complementary in the fact that the message, the same message was getting out there. It was just a different channel or different form of communication. People were still responding to the direct mail that always did. People were still, people were actually increased I can, I can speak for email and I know that and there was an increase in response from sure. email. So yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's not one or the other, but they're not the same either. So I want to kind of stay on this topic, but a little bit different of an aspect of it. We run digital campaigns for a lot of different organizations and many of them kind of just take this approach where they say, you know what, everybody's going to get direct mail and everybody's going to get email. But we've tested and, and, you know, sometimes intentionally tested, sometimes accidentally tested, which is a whole different topic, but, and found that for some organizations, there are audiences where, you know, they might on paper look like they'd be great prospects for direct mail, let's say, because they give frequently, they give really high average gifts, they, they've got great retention rates, but their channel of preference is truly email and maybe 98% or 100% of their gifts historically have come through email. And what we've seen is when you put those people into mail streams, they typically tend to respond really poorly to direct mail. And then sometimes even their email revenue and giving goes down. How does your, how do you approach that? How does your organization approach that? Like what, and, and what maybe have you learned in that space? I think, I think what we've learned is, I hope this to that is, especially with data is you, you go with what people do, not with what people say they do. Um, you know, we find this a lot even with email. They'll say, well, I prefer this. And then when you, when you start collecting the data on them or, you know, if you're collecting donations or maybe you're like from an email standpoint, uh, you know, like websites that they, like links that they click or projects that they're interested in. If they're, if they're saying one thing but doing it something else, then there's some sort of disconnect there. Uh, and you, you know, we really go with what people do. So <laughs> I would say they're more than what people say they do. Uh, you know, I mean, there's always a margin of error there, you know, I mean, if, you know, so, so we have to be careful. And obviously if it, if it were high enough level, you don't want to speak to the individual and, and respect what they say. And so we try not to, you know, just, just do that. But it, more in those situations, I think we would, we would just kind of uh, definitely continue doing where, what they're responding to. That makes sense. 
Because, yeah, I mean, if they're responding to it, why, why would you stop, I guess? It, when I've experienced it, it's always been sort of like this hope of like, oh, we think we've found a whole new audience that we can add into one channel or another uh, because they're not there today. Not realizing that maybe they're not there on purpose, right? Yeah, and I'd like to see us, I mean, I, as an organization, I'm sure even other organizations, being more mindful of that and, and finding out what, how people want to be communicated with, you know? Do you want us to email you? Do you want us to send you mailings? Do you want us to text you? Do you want us to call you? Uh, I think we're moving in that direction. I, I really hope we are, because I really think that's where the future is. Uh, and knowing these things about individuals and not, not groups of individuals, but individuals, um, and then you know, responding in that way and, and being respectful and saying, okay, well, you, know, you only want phone calls, so that's all I'm gonna give you. I'm not gonna send you emails. Uh, or, or maybe, I don't even want to say they take it that far, but, sure. you know, yeah. we'll phone, phone calls, but we won't email you as often. Sure. We'll pull back on emails, or we'll mail you less, or only mail you when it's, you know, a high-priority mailing or high-priority. So, yeah, I, I'm hoping that that's where we're going to, especially with all the different forms of communication that are, yeah. that are arising. I mean, we, we haven't really even touched texting um, to the fullest extent yet. I think we're on our way there, but that's, you know, another channel that will look completely different. And then, you know, we're not going to then text a direct mail piece to them, are we? Because I sure hope not. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've seen organizations email a PDF of their newsletter. So maybe yeah. texting a direct mail package is the next thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, you're right. I mean, the, the, the technology platforms that are available today, I mean, they, they make so much, so many different things possible from video engagement to real-time SMS, I mean, all, all sorts of different stuff. I think there's, there's a ton of opportunity that organizations should be taking advantage of. This conversation though reminds me that, you know, there, there's sort of the dark arts of tracking, right? That we, we can conceive all sorts of different treatment streams and all sorts of different ways to engage with donors. But if we're not tracking that behavior, in really granular ways and, and warehousing that data in a CRM that makes it easy to get the data out of, like no amount of strategy is gonna fix that. Talk, talk a little bit about what you've learned and how your organization approaches tracking and, and capturing that kind of data to make sure that you can do some intelligent marketing. Yeah, and so we do. So we have a CRM. Uh, we do track a lot, of, a lot of data on individuals that they give us. You know, they're, they're the ones providing us the data so whether addresses or phone numbers, right? So we're, we're getting it, a location, these other things. And then what we do in our organization is then when, how our organization works is we'll, we'll you know, if we're going to send an email, we'll, we'll reach out through the CRM and pull that data so that we can personalize, again, that email, that, that message. So whether it's a location or whether it's like volunteers, right? So we have a database that's full of people, but, you know, we have to, we have to grab who are our volunteers, so that we can craft that message. And yeah, and so that, that's what we do. And I think, you know, there's, there's that kind of tracking, the kind of the, uh, you know, the permission-based tracking. And then there's the, the behavioral tracking as well. Uh, and that's what we see sometimes in emails and, well, all digital, right? So we can sure. track, we can track and see based on a behavior, a person's interests. So our, we have a large organization. We have many different smaller ministries inside our large organization. So we can see based on maybe articles they click on a website or 
links they've clicked on an email, what they're truly interested in. And that's another way, a behavioral way to, to glean some information on them. And then again, you know, we don't just take it and, and have it for ourselves. I mean, it's, it's, we're not trying to, we're trying to do it to help them, believe it right. or not, right? So <laughs> I, I know it's hard to understand because it's like, oh, you're following me. Um, and you see those ads that follow you everywhere. And you, you say, you know, somebody's name and you get an ad two days later on Facebook. There, there is that aspect. But, you know, our organization is using this, this data to help give you a better experience, right? So if you are, if we can't ask you or whatever, um, you know, what programs you might be really interested in, we can see what, you can see what you're interested in based on clicks or opens or conversions, and then try to create messages for you that re resonate with you, the individual, not with what I think you want to hear. And, and that's really what it comes down to. So this brings us to something you and I were talking about offline before we started recording this morning, which is this idea of like, how do we bring commercial sector methodology into the nonprofit sector? I mean, what, what, what you're talking about is really the kind of customer experience that somebody gets when they're, when they shop on Amazon or when they shop on like the Nordstrom's website or Target or any major commercial marketer, right? And I, you know, I, it's, it's interesting to me because often I will have organizations fall into two camps. Some will say, all in, let's do it, right? We, we believe that this is the way to deliver the best experience to our donors. And others who say, we're not a corporation. Like, we're, we're not going to approach the world that way. Talk about the upside and downside. Okay. Sure, yeah. And, and so, yeah, you can kind of imagine what side I fall on as well. Um, I think I know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's okay. I understand both sides. Uh, the way I think of it, though, is how I view it and the reason I, I choose my side, so to speak, is what is, the, what is the individual gonna expect? And are these lines being blurred between what a corporation does online and what a nonprofit does online? Mm -hmm. So you go to Amazon and you can click a one button and buy something. Is then a person gonna be able to go to a nonprofit website and click four buttons to donate and be okay with that? Because that's where I think the disconnect is, right? Like, I don't know, I don't know, so I'll speak to that. I don't know, I haven't done any research, but is an individual gonna be able to say, well, it's okay because it's a nonprofit, that it's a harder process to donate. Or, you know, I can get a great email from Netflix with all my awesome movies that I'm watching and reminders, right? But it's okay that I don't get a personalized email from a nonprofit. Are, are they gonna be okay with that? Because in my mind, personally, if we can do it, we should do it. If we can do it, we should do it, right? And I think those lines are being being blurred a little bit. And I feel that we don't, as a nonprofit, want to lose the focus and the mission of the nonprofit, right? I mean, we are different. We are unique in our, our missions and why we do what we do, whatever it is. Um, but the means to, to, to get there, especially, especially with technology, we, we can be using that, in my opinion, and harnessing that um, and to give, again, the user or, you know, the individual, the donor, the best possible experience, right? Because if, I, I know there's data out there, you know, if, if you're clicking on, on a donate button and it's not working, it's not, you know, you don't get a thank you page or you don't get a thank you confirmation page, you don't get something. How was that experience for you? Yeah. Are you going to go back and do it again? Or are you going to go to a nonprofit that has a very similar mission and give it to them because you, you, you can click one or two buttons and you're good. 
right, it's, it's a, a more enjoyable experience. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, you know, I don't know how many times we've abandoned carts and, and stuff because it's interesting you say that. So I don't know current data, but years ago, and this is like say three to five years ago, a good friend of mine, a gentleman by the name of Scott Vanderlei, who's one of the I would say leading digital strategists in the sector. He he comes out of uh, Microsoft and other commercial spaces, but then he ran all of the digital at World Vision, right? So he's got legit experience in the space. He did some testing with clients that we worked on together and found that for every click that someone had to go through to get to, to completing a donation experience, you lost about 10% of the conversions, right? So that was five years ago. I can only imagine with the way commercial experience has evolved that it's worse now, right? Right. Yeah, I'm sure it is. And I know that we, um, uh, from our digital department, recently switched that up. I would say within the last two years, we had a think of the four-step process to donate. Okay, okay. And that's a lot of steps. To, there's a lot of steps. And we went down to a one where you click a button and basically you get a thank you page. That's did it. you see a change in your conversion? And we did. Okay. We, high, we saw, so, I mean, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but yes, we saw an increase in conversions. And it's because people were, people in our case, people were confused. Because sure. they were getting, because they were getting a page in between that said basically what they already did. Hmm. They put their, they had put their information in, and then they got a page that said, "This is all the information you put in. Ah, Are you okay gotcha. with that?" And then you had to click another button, and we got rid of it. And yeah, and conversion went up. So it sounds like you know it was it was a process designed with intentionality to make sure that people you know really knew what they were doing in the process, mm-hmm. but it caused friction and kept more of them from from actually converting. It did. And in some ways, you know, sometimes we get into our own way and sometimes, you know, sometimes we, we individuals think, well, this might be the best way. Sure. Uh, and we, and it was with the best, best intentions. We want to make sure that what you put in there was absolutely accurate. Uh, we had the best intentions for you to do it. And then we realized, well, we didn't need to, we didn't need yeah. to. And again, you know, that goes back to testing. We did test that. Yep, that makes sense. Let, let's talk a little bit about the future. You know, I think we, we've talked about how email as a channel has sort of evolved so much in the last couple of years and, and it probably has evolved in order of magnitude in the last couple of months even for, for our sector. But I'm curious to, to get your thought on what you see as maybe some of the biggest potential changes coming in the next couple of years. Like what's on the horizon in your mind? Yeah, I think I think even think we kind of are, have already hit on it a little bit, mentioned it a little bit. So I think the biggest one, you know, as far as email goes, right, is moving away from email as a broadcast message system mm-hmm. and into a one-on-one, as I mentioned, personalized relationship building form of communication. We have we have the capabilities to do that now, and so we need to start working our way toward that um, and start using email not just to share what we're doing, but to really build that relationship with individuals. Yeah. Um, so I really, I really see us going there. I see us personalizing more. I see us segmenting more. So really sending, you know, and I, I use those two terms, they're a little different in the email world, but just the smaller groups of people who really want to hear that message um, and not just emailing everybody what you have to say, but really pinpointing who needs to hear that message at that point in time. And so I really, I really do see us kind of moving personalized. You know, I do see other things on the horizon as far as video coming. Uh, video will, video is already here a little bit. Um, it's not that we can't add video to emails. It's that the email, your inbox providers won't show it as a video. <laughs> so there are certain ones that will and certain ones that won't. Sure. 
And so then you have to, again, go back to that user experience. What's it like for people? Right. And if they're clicking on a, you know, if it's, if an email, if a video can just turn on automatically in the email, that's a great experience I would think, for mm -hmm. people. Uh, if it just, if you can just see the, see a video, like a thank you video would be great, right? Like thank you from, from a CEO or a president and then click on a button to go to a landing page to donate or something like that would be a great, a great experience in my opinion. But if we're, we're not quite there yet, as far as mailbox providers allowing that. So what you get is some people get the video and other people get a default image. <laughs> and so uh, you just, again, that, that's where we're at. I do see us moving, you know, that way though, where, where we can embed video into emails. I see, I see a time, this is a few, probably a few years down the road where you can embed forms in the email. Sure. Yeah. So where you will be able to actually donate right on the email itself and, and you won't, you know, you won't have to go to a landing page, you know, then there's questions that rise. Well, do you want them to, to leave the website? You know, do you want, you know, and so as a marketer, we're gonna have to figure things out because do you want them to just go ahead and donate on an email and then be done? Uh, do you want them to go to the website so that they can donate and then poke around? These are the questions, but I do see a time in the future where these, all these things will be available on email. And so you can almost have a one shop experience on email. That's actually really exciting to me. It is really exciting. And I yeah. just think that we'll have to work, work to figure out what, what it's going to look like and you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to cause us to have to rethink again, the entire uh, experience journey for a, for a constituent. Right. And that, that idea of, do we want people to just give an email or do we want them to visit the website? You know, it's, uh, I think back to tr more traditional media and nobody ever said we want them to give in the mail or do we want them to come to our office? Right. Yeah. <laughs> for, for the most part, I mean, unless we're talking about major donors. So, so it's a little bit of a, a different conversation around that. But they're, you know, the, the value proposition of having great content on your site, I think makes it such a bigger issue to wrestle with. And on the, on the topic of video, do you, do you know the folks at ViewSpark? Have you spent any time with them? With who? ViewSpark. Do you know those guys? I do. Not, I actually don't know them. I actually okay. subscribe to their emails, though. <laughs> so they're, they're good friends of mine, and they're really on the cutting edge of this whole video in email experience. And, and what's been fascinating to me is just the, the improved performance that you get when you embed email in, in yeah, and, or and embed are, video in email, you know? Yeah. And there's actually um, companies out there that are able to, uh, you can embed a video and it since I told you, you some, some browsers allow you to open it, uh, uh, have any video and some don't, what this company can do is they can actually tell you what type of inbox you have and then they would either deliver the video or the image. That's cool. And it's unique. And then it's a unique experience. So yep. I, as an email marketer, wouldn't have to figure it out and say, well, I'm only going to send, you know, this one, the video and this one, this, this image or, or use a default image, but it actually, a company actually does this right now. It's possible yeah. to do it where, where, where it's based on the user's mobile phone, whether they receive the video or the image. Okay. Which is really yeah. Cool. yeah. I mean, I've just been fascinated with, you know, looking at open rates and response rates and conversion to their email program because they're so much higher than traditional email. And it just yeah. proves the point to me that, you know, people are craving that authentic engagement. And the more you can deliver it where it looks like you and I talking across the screen here, the more likely it is that somebody's going to respond. Yeah. I mean, and we've actually, we have been looking into this okay. quite, quite a lot. Actually, in the last few weeks, uh, we've had a few conversations and we've been 
just toying with the idea and, you know, how can we use this? And I, we just see so much upside as far as how we can use videos besides like thank yous, but just um, promotion. So we do a lot of events. Now we're doing a lot of digital events, but we're doing a lot of live events. I mean, can you imagine having a speaker being on video, you welcoming right. you, encouraging you to come? I mean, that's just so much more impactful than a static email. Yeah. Uh, asking you right so yeah i mean we we are we are looking into it i do think it's the future and like yeah. you said lots of conversions and lots of opens well, I, I have one client right now that does uh i think they're doing a weekly video they're another ministry organization and it's it's either weekly or bi-weekly but it's a one minute uh, ministry message so it's it's basically a, a mini sermon and um, it's fascinating I, and i think some of this might be just because people are so sort of anxious around the COVID situation, but the open rates on that particular video email are like skyrocket through the roof, right? Because it's a combination of a message that's hopeful in a channel that people are consuming more readily with, you know, the technique of video. So people are like, oh, I definitely want to engage with this. And it's sort of like a, a combination of all these things done right are just making it a really successful tool for them. Yeah, and I wonder now with the pandemic and everything, how much more people are expecting to see people face-to-face -face through mm -hmm. video. That's a great right? point. Because yeah. you know, now we're all doing Zoom calls and people who never thought, like myself, would be on a video speaking, it's now it's now common, right? Yeah. So yeah. having that on email, it's, it's going to be great for people. I agree. Yeah. For sure. So we are, we are close to out of time, but before I let you go, because you are doing so much testing, I, I really wanted to get your thoughts on a particular aspect of that. And, and I'm curious to know what your thought process is and how you guys organizationally decide what to test and when to test it. Like, is it just sort of everybody shows up on a Monday morning and says, Hey, this week, I think we should test this. Or do you set a, a testing strategy annually or, or like, where does it fall in between that? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, I mean, we, and it comes, some of it happens organically. Some of it is very intentional. Um, intentional is more part, my part. My part. Um, I'm, I'm kind of an organized guy. I actually have a book, a binder of everything that we've tested, the results of everything that we've tested, um, just so that I can go back and say things like, well, we've already tested that, and these right. are the results. <laughs> um, and they're like, no, I don't remember that. I'm like, no, I have it right here. We've tested it on such and such a date. See, these were the results. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so I have that. I'm much more I'm much more organizational than that matter. But a lot of our testing actually comes out of our reporting, believe it or not. So um, we don't have as many kind of, well, you know, brainstorming meetings, but a lot of it comes out of myself and my team. We'll kind of note it, we'll, we'll be reporting on something and we'll say, well, these, this looks odd. This is out of ordinary. You know, what could have caused this, whether it's an open or a click versions or some of this out of research that we do, that I do. And like, well, you know, a lot of people say this, uh, if you know me now long enough, you'll know that I kind of don't go with best practices, so to speak anymore. Best practices are a great place to start, but if, you, but if you've been up and running for a little bit, you need to kind of go with your own best practices, mm. and then you need to challenge those best practices, right? Don't be afraid to say, well, I always email on Tuesday. Everybody looks forward to, to my email on Tuesday. You kind of have to have that mindset of, well, maybe the open race didn't do so well on Tuesday. You know, maybe one of the things we could test is, is a Thursday or a Friday, or we've tested Saturdays and have been very successful, surprisingly successful. Uh, so a lot of it comes out of the reporting. Uh, comes out of some of it comes out of the research um, myself and kind of <laughs> saying well you say that this is what we should do but 
is that true? Or it's probably true for them, right? And that's my thing with best practices as well. It's probably true for you and and what maybe your organization or what your audience is expected, and that is great. But your organization and your audience is not mine. And so we have to find and we have to test. That's the only way we know how to do it is to test and find what works best for us. A lot of it comes through, like I said, reporting. Some of it comes through emails that maybe we're like, well, that did not perform as well as we expected. Then we'll go on and kind of go back to the drawing board and say, well, what could have caused this? And we'll, we'll isolate a few different issues that caused it. And then that's where we kind of build our testing schedule. That's really on me to kind of look at these things and kind of bring these up in these, these meetings and say, hey, you know, this didn't perform well. It could have been, you know, one of these three things possibly. Can we test it? And then in addition, not only you have to test it, but you have to know what you're testing. And I think that sometimes gets lost in translation, like, oh, let's just test two subject lines and see which one does better. Well, that's great, but how are you going to then apply that to the next email and the next or anything else, right? It doesn't matter what sure, it is. Sure. Like, how are you going to apply that? So I actually, I know, I told you I'm organized. I actually have a sheet that uh, is, I say require, I ask people, well, if you want to test this, do you have to answer these questions so that I can basically make sure that we're on the same page as far as, you know, why are we testing this? You know, what exactly are we testing? Because if we can't just test, like I'm saying subject lines, we can't just test subject lines. I need to know what in a subject line we're testing. Are we testing a question subject line versus a statement? Are we testing a person subject, person centered subject line or a individual, you know, a cor corporation or organization centered? Right? I need to know this so that when the next email comes about, I can say, well, look, if you tried this, this is what works better. Or whether it's a call to action button, you know, are we testing a short call to action versus a long call to action? Are we testing a short email versus a long form email? You know, and what, and then also, we also have hypothesis that we include in there, just, you know, it's all good fun. Um, sometimes I'll make it fun for the team and I'll say, hey, we're sending out, you know, email based on this. What do you guys vote who you think will win? You know, and then I'll, you know, I'll send out updates uh, throughout, the, throughout the month and say, hey, you know, this is where we're at and it's all good fun. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of how we align our strategy. It, it comes organically, it comes through trial and error comes from a lot of different places. I do have a list personally of things I want to test on emails and I kind of sprinkle those in there as I can just to, uh, yeah, just to keep us testing. Awesome. Hey man, this has been a really insightful conversation. I, I so enjoyed hearing what you're doing and, and what the results have been and just the, the way that you think about this strategy. Thank you for being here. How do people get in touch with you if they want to learn more or connect with you? Uh, the best way honestly is through LinkedIn. Okay. Yep. Uh, John J. Walsh. LinkedIn. Feel, feel free to message me and connect with me. I'm on there usually quite frequently. So happy to help. If you have questions, uh, you know, happy to help. I'm going to just, you know, I love helping people. That's why I share the stuff just so people can learn and just so people question things. I don't share it so that people take it as, as truth, but as so that people get people to think. So yeah, please feel free to contact me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to help. Awesome. Thanks again for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. 
Thanks again for listening today.